Hello and welcome to the Southside Church podcast. For more information about Southside Church located in Cape Town, South Africa, visit southsidechurch.co.za. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hello. Today, I want to spend some time focusing on God in the middle of our messy relationship moments, with the key focus being on the marriage relationship. Very often, in the messy moments or the mundane periods of the marriage relationship, we feel as though God is absent. In the first records of history found in the Old Testament, there was a man called Jacob, and at one stage in his life, he was traveling in a mundane moment and had rested. And it says that as he was resting, he had a dream from God. And in Genesis chapter 28 verse 16, it then describes, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. How often do we experience life this way? Often God seems absent or we assume he's not in certain places and spaces within our lives, especially the painful, messy or shameful areas. But his promise is that he will never leave or forsake us, meaning it's not God that's absent. It's us that will often overlook his presence because of distorted perceptions. One of the areas in which we often have a distorted perception about the work or presence of God is in moments where in relationships there's a mess or things just seem to be going from day to day in the mundane. In today's culture, marriage is often criticized as a forced human institution, but we need to be reminded that it's not a human invention. At its core, marriage is God's idea, not ours. The theologian John Stott articulates the mystical power of marriage created by God between man and woman when he says the marriage bond is more than a human contract. It is a divine yoke. There is something sacred and divine about marriage. In fact, marriage is one of the only three clear ordinances or commands from God at creation before the fall of man into sin. So marriage was originally created by God in perfection, and it remains part of his design today. The only difference is that the fall of man into sin means that marriage exists in an imperfect setting among two sinners. And this is why we can expect messy moments within our marriage relationship. The well-known author, pastor, and church leader T.D. Jake said, Once the honeymoon is over, and once you have peeled away the outer wrapping, you will have to live with the human being inside. And on the inside of every human being is a degree of darkness. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 to 10 in the Old Testament says, The heart of man is hopelessly dark and deceitful. Messy moments in marriage are a consequence of sin. But some of us don't like to hear this. Because so often we live with the expectation that marriage should be closer to the perfection in which it was originally created than the fallen world in which it exists today. And our culture reinforces this often unrealistic expectation with fairy tales of love that end with the prince and princess living happily ever after or the love songs that refer to soulmates that complete each other. 
And Christians often carry an expectation that their marriage experience will include the ultimate completion of their lives as spiritually they become one flesh with the person God handpicked for them out of the whole universe. They expect that because marriage is described in scripture as a reflection of Christ's relationship with his church, that they will have a God-fearing spouse who bears all the fruits of the Spirit all the time, not only being kind and gentle, but going forth and multiplying with healthy children whom are raised in the ways of the Lord, honoring their mother and father, while they continually experience God's blessing all the days of their life. Now, that's a nice idea, but the reality is that at some stage, those expectations of the perfect marriage aren't met. And at this point in our human experience, we feel ashamed. We think our marriage is broken and can't be fixed. We blame the devil or more often our own spouse, hiding our struggles from others behind closed doors. But what if the messy moments in our marriage in which we often shift the blame to others was the very place in which God was wanting to do some of his most powerful work in us? You see, sometimes we wrestle with failure because we've got a distorted definition of success. And marriage is one area of life we often define with unrealistic expectations. Yet the messy moments in your marriage where you are tempted to shift the blame to others may be the very place in which God is wanting to do some of his most powerful work in you. The truth is that marriage isn't about a beautiful wedding, fancy homes, cute kids, nice cars, and white picket fences. Marriage is hospital stays, working long hours, fighting through struggles, setting up life insurance, paying bills, keeping the faith, and staying together through it all. One of the best definitions of a successful marriage that I've ever heard came from a great church leader and pastor called Rick Warren. And he articulated it saying, a successful marriage is a great union between two great forgivers. Why? Because marriage exists in an imperfect setting among two sinners. Here's the crazy thing though. Our sin and imperfection at some point demanded a perfect sacrifice. And that's where we see God in flesh Jesus, who came into the middle of man's human mess to save us. And in the same way, God is as present in the messy moments of our marriage. But unless we become aware of God in the middle of the mundane and messy moments, we will find ourselves falling into the trap of blaming others and overlooking the very work he wants to produce in us for our good and his glory. In the Old Testament, there was a guy called Joseph who was hurt by his brothers. He spent many years suffering because of their actions toward him. But instead of focusing on how he could take revenge, he focused on God's presence in his personal pain. And at the end of the messy season of his slavery and imprisonment, he rose victorious, proclaiming before those who had hurt him out of Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. God doesn't intend for the messy moments of marriage to harm you, but to become opportunities for your good. If you will only see God in the middle of the mess and focus on what he's doing in you, not your spouse. 
When we embrace this, we may find many potential trials become testimonies. And as we look back, we may proclaim, surely the Lord is in this place and I am so glad that I was aware of it. We want to become aware of God in the middle of the messy moments of our marriages. Now, one of the devil's greatest strategies for creating mess and attacking marriage is to convince us that the problems in our marriage are a result of forces outside of ourselves. This means our reaction to mess is to try and fix others instead of focusing on what God might be doing in us. You see, if the devil can convince you that your spouse is the problem, he is no longer the enemy they are. And this is what the devil wants because he understands what scripture says in Mark chapter 3 verse 25 when it says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. All he needs to do is convince you that all the mess and the problems in your marriage relationship are because of something your spouse is doing. He can walk away and you will continue to wage war against each other. At that point, you begin to live in a house that is divided against itself and a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. But Isaiah 54 verse 17 in God's word says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. With this in context, I recently read somewhere, God never said the weapons wouldn't form. He said they wouldn't prosper. The enemy seeks to form as many weapons as possible against our marriages. But the only time the weapons formed against your marriage prosper is when you become convinced that your marriage mess is the result of others outside of yourself. You see, as Stephen Chandler said, What we call marriage issues are often single issues in a marriage. I remember as a kid, I was pretty crazy. I did a lot of skateboarding with my friends, so always was walking around with scabs on my elbows and knees. And me and my friends also liked to play ninja together on the lawn at break time at school. And so we would kind of have these play fights, but inevitably somewhere someone's scabs would get pulled off on clothes or whatever, and we were unaware of it while we were playing. At the end of our game, often there would be blood on our shirts, and I know that I used to blame my friend immediately, saying, oh man, my mom's going to kill me because now I've got these stains on my new shirt. And my friend would blame me because neither of us were feeling injuries. We would then look on all over our bodies to find out who was actually injured. And it was only when we accurately identified who got cut that we were able to own the mess. In marriage, we so often focus on fixing the mess we perceive was created by our partner's brokenness that we become unaware that the bloody mess is actually coming from our own wounds. So how do we overcome this? How do we become aware of our wounds and the presence of God in the messy moments of marriage? This is the question. And as we explore the answer, we must acknowledge that it's all about seeing and being seen. Because the way you see your spouse and yourself determines the way you respond in the messy moments of your relationship. Seeing also allows us to acknowledge God where we've potentially overlooked him in the past. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, we read in verse 18 how passionately Jesus desired his disciples to see spiritually what they couldn't perceive in the physical. When he says, you have eyes, can't you see? Jesus was saying, you're looking at life in your human experience, but not seeing in the spiritual. My dad once told me about an experience he had when he was uh, doing fine arts. And uh, while he was painting uh, the still life, 
uh, his lecturer came past him and said in his ear, look to see, not to look. You see, my dad was painting his idea of fruit in a fruit bowl rather than accurately seeing the specific one in front of him. In that statement, the lecturer was saying, see beyond your intellectual idea of things based on what you are told and taught. In our human experience, we don't always see the value in what we look at because of what our world has told and taught us. And often that applies to the way we view our spouse. There's a famous uh, saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And very often our familiarity with our spouse and all their failures and faults begins breeding contempt. And contempt is where we may unconsciously begin looking at our spouse as an object rather than a being. This is where we may begin demonizing them as the enemy. Martin Buber was an Austrian philosopher who was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature ten times and Nobel Peace Prize seven times. In 1923, he wrote his famous essay on existence, translated in English as the I and Thou. In his writing, Buber's major theme was that human existence may be defined by the way in which we engage in dialogue with each other, with the world and with God. According to Buber, human beings may adopt two attitudes toward the world, thou or it. Thou is a relation of subject to subject, while it is a relation of subject to object. And it can be easy over time for us to look at our partners as a familiar it rather than a sacred thou. Over time, when the fairy tale wedding is over, and you've eaten a garlic pizza, and you wake up with your wife, and she doesn't have her makeup on, and you've all aged and had many kids, and she no longer highlights her hair, and the gray's coming through, you can very often lose sight of your spouse as the thou and begin framing them as a familiar it. But when we fail to see our spouse as an individual person, fearfully and wonderfully created in the image of God as a thou, we will lose the ability to allow sacred space between each other. And we all require sacred space. We need to see and be seen if we are going to embrace God's work in the middle of our messy moments in marriage. And so I want to explain this principle of sacred space, of seeing and being seen. And we can observe this through the life of Jesus. Firstly, Jesus saw us as thou. In Hebrews 12 verse 2 it says, we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus embraced self-sacrifice for our good because of what he saw. Jesus saw your worth as a vow. And therefore, because of what he saw, he endured the agony and humiliation of the cross so you could be saved. When we see the thou in our spouse, we are able to endure the messy moments of agony and humiliation that may come with conflict. What you see will determine whether you endure the mess in faithful devotion or escape the relationship shoving all the blame. Secondly, 
Because Jesus saw us not as its, but thou's, he allowed the sacred space between us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Jesus allowed a sacred space in which we could navigate losing direction and failing at perfection because he saw us as thou. We need to allow sacred space for our spouse to fail meeting our expectations, making mistakes, and even losing some direction. The truth is, nowhere else do we learn to love more like Jesus than in our marriage relationship. Therefore, The messy moments need not symbolize an obstacle to escape, but the opportunity to endure in the process of cultivating and growing mature love. One of the ways we can start this is by stop blaming others for the messy moments around you and start asking God what he may be doing inside you. The best way to embrace God in the middle of marriage's messy moments is to see your spouse as thou and start asking God what he may be doing inside you. The words of a rabbi on his deathbed resonate with me when thinking about this principle. He said, When I was young, I set out to change the world. When I grew a little older, I perceived that this was too ambitious. So I set out to change my state. This too, I realized as I grew older, was too ambitious. So I set out to change my town. When I realized I could not even do this, I tried to change my family. Now as an old man, I know that I should have started by changing myself. If I had started with myself, maybe then I would have succeeded in changing my family, the town, or even the state, and who knows, maybe even the world. It starts with me. It starts with you. And as I land today, I want to share a scripture for you, not your spouse, for you. And it's a famous portion of scripture in the Bible that speaks about a model for marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 to 25. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, very often, ladies, you hear that and you you can't stand that scripture. You feel like it's used to manipulate you into things you don't want to do. But I want to encourage you that that portion of scripture is in the context of the next line I read in this passage, in which it speaks to husbands and says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If I was truly living that out as a husband, my wife would never feel the pressure to have to submit to something because she would have a deep desire to follow me as I led with the love of God. And so as we land today, I want to talk to men, to husbands, to love our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her is God's invitation into the messy moments of marriage filled with misunderstanding like Jesus experienced as he was mocked, with pain like Christ endured as he was beaten and sacrificed on the cross. 
It's an invitation to lead in his image, not to command your wife into the shape of yours. Greatest act of God's love was seen in Jesus enduring the messy moment of the crucifixion rather than trying to escape. And in the same way, if we're going to love our wives like Christ loved the church, we need to embrace and endure the messy moments in marriage. Because just like Christ, when he had endured the cross, he got to the tomb. And instead of the tomb being a symbol of death and defeat, it became the testimony of resurrection and life. And so I ask you, what might God be wanting to raise to life in your marriage from the messy moments that you face? I pray that you would find the strength to endure rather than escape the messy moments in your marriage. And as you see those trials turn into testimonies of God's love and grace, you may declare like Jacob, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it.